Take off your clothing, please. Open your mouth. Okay, stick your tongue up. Okay, stick it out. Okay, lower your lower lip. Take your clothes off. I need you to lift your breasts. Okay, you can drop them. Pull it out and lower it down. Good. Okay. The upper lip. Let's spread your legs a little bit wider. Okay. Okay. Lift your penis for me, please. Testicles. Let's turn around. Okay, bend forward for me, please. And spread your buttocks. Soho Radio, and with us we have today curator Fatos Ustek and uh, artist Orit Ashery. Uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you. On Soho Thank you. Radio. Uh, Orit, um, you were born in Jerusalem. That's right, yeah. Uh, how is that experience? I mean, it's, it's a very intense environment, I can imagine. Um, so, how this, were you brought up there? Yes, I was brought up in Jerusalem till I was uh, 19 mm-hmm. and when I was 19 and an adult I 
came to the UK. Mm-hmm. And your first track was speedy boarding. <laughs> uh, what is this transition about? What is the speedy boarding about? What did you select this? Uh, speedy, yeah. I selected it because uh, when I was thinking about music for this show, I was thinking about using music that appears in my work that has been originally commissioned uh, for the work. This is part of Party for Freedom, which is a 10 tracks album. And Speedy Boarding is about the experience of uh, flying and the experience of um, going through um, the checking in experience, being stopped and searched in yeah in, in various airports and and the overall experience of um invasion of privacy um this travel restriction of movement the power that it is imposed to all passengers and the the privacy that's violated with all this uh, health and safety we have to face in and checks in the airports. Yeah, but some passengers uh, face it more than others as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So this is what you're trying to. Yeah. Yeah. So it's re- it's relating more to migration movements as well. Yeah, migration profiling, um, racial profiling, ethnic profiling, in terms of stop and search policies, and in terms of uh, what bodies are going through in those searches. So the categorization of people, basically. Yeah. yeah. But I think it does really convey, but uh, as, as you were also saying earlier, about the um, kind of the horror film soundtrack feel, but, but also like the chattering of people, conversations that you make sense of and you don't. I think it's also about... Uh, yeah, I think it's also about that kind of like a transitionary space that we treat as normal, especially for people who travel a lot. It's kind of a normative where you basically almost like embody the you know the gestures of like packing, moving, opening, get getting searched and packing again, and you know uh, getting on the plane, arriving, etc. But I really feel that this accentuation of the the feelings the sub almost like a subliminal texture is very interesting for especially for party for freedom so it was a performance party for freedom what exactly was this is this work uh, originally the work is a audiovisual album so it's mm-hmm. an album it's a digital album and um, maybe it's a good time to say that um, I mean, you're a, a multidisciplinary artist. You work with video, performance, installation, uh, photography. Yeah, that's so correct. Yeah, that's correct. I, I work in what I call uh, multi-platform projects. Mm-hmm. So each project, they, they tend to be quite la- large, mm-hmm. and each project manifests itself in different ways. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of collaborative in, in development. Yeah, so that, that Party for Freedom was also a concert, so it was played as an hour-long concert in, in Finland and um, in, um, in, in London. Am I mistaken that Art Angel commissioned you and then I do remember coming to a performance event where also uh, there was a no- female noise band and, but was it all a precursor? It was like close to Tate Britain in this tower. Or am I mixing up? I am. No, that's absolutely correct. Oh, so okay. it was in um, it was in the in the tower. The the, the name of the tower come to me. It's uh, <laughs> where the the Tory government headquarters is, and it was specifically selected for uh, for that reason. So and it was the first of May. So I wanted to do it on the 1st of May. Very, very symbolic. Uh, yeah, yes. I wanted to do it on the 1st of May in that particular building. Mm-hmm. And it's that's where we did it. And it, Party for Freedom as a concert um, had three musical components. So what we just listened to was uh, by the uh, Finnish contemporary classic composer Timo Johanni Kulin. What we're going to listen to... Um, also is uh, music composed by Morgan Quintains. Mm-hmm. He's a London-based writer, musician, broadcaster and curator. 
And the third component is the um, women-only band, Wolf, post-band, noise band. That um, They created really interesting inserts, so they're like 30 seconds inserts be- just before each song. Mm-hmm. Those kind of inserts that have almost no beginning and end, they just kind of cut in and cut out between the songs. Okay, let's go then to the second track, uh, which is Kate Wilder's Morgan Quentin's. this performance about so it took place uh, at the Tory Tower um, which uh, the name of the tower I cannot recall Millbank Millbank Tower Tower. Mm -hmm. and it was a nude performance Um, and it it seems that it had some reference from Lars von Trier Um, what exactly did you want to explore and and yeah what what, what was the... Please describe, because we are on radio. So it's it, good to have a short description, please, and then uh, a little bit about the concept behind it. So the original, the original album uh, was a concert, mm-hmm. and what we've just listened to by Morgan was a track about um, Gert. So we're actually hearing the words screaming, Gert, Gert, mm-hmm. throughout the track. And that relates to Gert Wilders, the leaders of the leader of Party for Freedom. And the work generally was looking at far right rhetorics, mm. the spillage between the left and the right, looking at liberation movements and the idea of freedom and liberation critically. Mm-hmm. And this is how the this is how the idea of people being naked came about, because it, it has this resonance with groups of hippies um, running around naked. Mm. And what actually happened was that twenty five times we went to twenty five different locations, mm. homes, offices, bars, as a naked troupe of performers and performed the work live where the screen with the album was the protagonist. So the screen itself was part of the performance. A group of naked people come to your house, they set everything up, they perform for an hour with a screen and they leave. That's, that's what took place. But perhaps we could also contextualise because this piece was in 2013 and Gert Wilders is a politician from Conservative Party in the Netherlands and I, if I'm not wrong I remember that he made quite unsettling comments about also uh, LGBT people and then there was a there was a but there was a relationship no for Morgan to kind of include or almost like dedicate his sonic piece or sound uh, 
track to to him and shouting out his name was almost like a kind of a recalling a rivalry or what would you say? Yeah, so that, that that's correct. We used Gert Wilders and I asked Morgan to respond and compose music with Gert Wilders in mind. Looking at how far-right leaders and policies use women rights and LGBTQ rights to oppose, supposedly, to set it against migration from Muslim countries. So as expression of the instrumentalising women's rights and LGBTQ rights to, to set it against, as, as basically as an Islamophobic move. So this is, was the tension that I was looking at. The work, all of the work is set as a within like a, a, a queer lens, but but the um, the critique is how that's been instrumentalized. Those ideas of rights, minorities, liberation, instrumentalized by both the left and the right. For the benefit of each one of them separately in, in, in specific occasions. Well, for the left as a, as an ethos that is. If you look at the failure of the left as an ethos that needs to be re-examined and, and for the right to impose anti-immigration policies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Wolf, your words are not needed. Yes, so what we're going to listen to is the credit, actually the, the, tr- the last track where the credits come on mm-hmm. for the album, for part of a Freedom album. and. It might be hard to hear the words because this is how it, it's a noise band, but the words are your words are not needed. <laughs> So that was Wolf, and then uh, the world started flooding for you, and that happened at Tate Morden in 2014. Yeah, that's right. So it was um, a performance um, which was set up as a catwalk uh, originally, and and then things started happening, and people talking and saying a variety of things about the 
background, their existence and their role in the society. So what was the world is flooding and why was it flooding? Yeah, so the world is flooding was uh, part of and a continuation from Party for Freedom based on Mayakovsky play Mystery Booth. And in Mystery Booth uh, from um, 1921, the world is divided into the clean and the unclean. There's a flood, the world is flooding. The unclean, which is like the working classes, the poor people, they know how to build, so they build a boat to save themselves. And then the clean, which are the privileged, the rich, they don't know how to build, they don't know how to make their hands dirty, so they ask the unclean to come on the boat. The unclean say yes, they let them come on the boat, and the clean take over. Mm -hmm. So I use that as a basis to, um, with a group of people, some were asylum seekers, some came individually, to, to the Tate, uh, we created a series of workshops and we based our own script on. We reenacted The World is Flooding, so we, we reenacted Mystery Booth. And why started as a, as a catwalk? So, what was the symbolic relation of the catwalk? Was the, the, the pretentious of our character, of our society, the superficial? So, what was, um, what was it referring to? Yeah, so there were two things. One thing was the idea of the clean and the unclean, so we were thinking about cleaning materials. And so what, when, when we listen to the next track, we'll hear a, a list of cleaning materials that we used as ponchos. So we made a, a, a clothesline of ponchos from cleaning materials that was used for the catwalk. The other idea behind it was around cleaning museums, for example. So when you go to museums, the, thinking about who gets to, who who clean it, who keeps it clean, the division of labour, who does what in art institutions, how, how how does that fall in terms of racial diversity, and then also thinking about the city of London, about all the people who at five in the morning travel to clean up everything. So when we come and have our cappuccinos, our, our lattes, everything is already clean and ready for the day to start. So, thinking about this idea of cleaning, but particularly I was thinking about what does it mean for a group of asylum seekers to perform a Tate Modern, does that make them into a spectacle? So to, to think about this idea of a spectacle, we actually did a catwalk, so actually people look at them as objects in a sense, so bringing this to, into a question. Mm -hmm. I think this relationship of reproductive and productive labour in institutions is quite a curious one. Because it's also about, you know, like on the one hand, we as productive labor, you know, like as artists, as curators, or, you know, like administrators even, um, treat the reproductive labor as a given. And I think that's a very interesting thing. I would perhaps, like, uh, you know, like personally, or in, in my, in, if I could, like really like to question and then perhaps uh, create a, a more flowing situation that it's not a fixed uh, way of being in life. And also I was thinking recently about the profile of migration, you know, and the fact that people who have migrated have, you know, they come from various different backgrounds and there's been many art projects that have been specifically working asylum seekers and looking at the richness that they actually embody within themselves, you know, like people who were doctors in the land that they had to flee, or they were, you know, like skilled scientists, etc. So it isn't only like a kind of a, you know, a, basically migrants also hold that, you know, imbalance of productive and reproductive labor or the potential within. And, and I think, I don't know, like maybe it's a big thing, but like I think the the prosperous society is the one which can enrich the the the, the potential, you know, what is already there, rather than like uh, continuing with the categorical imperative of yeah. Yeah, I, I think also that categories are not something standardized, you know. It also challenges the concept that you might be something in another environment, something else. And your social roles, references, or uh, 
categorical position might change at any single moment in time in this life. Absolutely, and I think for me, the idea of like cleaning materials, we're thinking about cleaning as a, something that is that is boring, it's a chore, it's a labour, but actually cleaning materials are really vibrant. They're made very in really vibrant colours, and the, the, there's a sense of um, an interesting branded dichotomy in that. And I think, for me, the same came about, I mean, differently, but the same came about in the performance, because it's an hour long, and participant wrote the script themselves. It's, a, it's about self-knowledge, their own experiences. So when you hear them speak, you hear it, it's not what things appear to be. So you get some kind of an insight into their own experience, like, like you were mentioning, different pe people come with different life experiences, uh, whether being a doctor or whether being in any, any profession or any, coming from any site of trauma and talking about it. But definitely once they're taking the poncho, they, they stop being objects and start being subjects. They start telling stories and narratives. I think Patoj, we should take part in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's an ongoing project, correct? Hmm? Well, in a sense that, um, in a sense that um, my interest in creating self knowledge is ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So let's get the next track, which is "The World Is Flooding." Dishcloth, J cloth, wipes, duster, duster flicks. Floor cloth, valet wipes, cellulose sponges, microfiber cloths, copper scouring pads, silver scouring pads, coloured scouring pads, cable ties, tea towels, photographs, potato prints, monster rolls, marigold gloves, marigold gloves wrappers, orange green and blue green liners, coffee cup, air. Coloured duct tape, coloured gaffer tape.
So we have uh, with us at the studio Orit Ashery and Fado Sustek and uh, Orit, uh, this was The World is Flooding. So who composed this track for this performance? That was uh, also by Morgan Quintains, mm-hmm. who composed the music for the whole hour performance. And something that I wanted to say about it is, um, in terms of economy, the economy of com- for artists commissioning music, which also will connect us to, to where we're going next, is that because of budget rec- restrictions, generally I commission short loops and those short loops I get played repeatedly throughout or get into the compositions creatively to be used rather than length of music that will be more expensive to commission. Mm-hmm. And but, uh, perhaps like we could move to your other quite uh, process-based uh, large-scale work which is Revisiting Genesis it's been almost three years that you've been working on the project and how did it came about? I mean first of all let's say to the audience what is this about it's an open access web-based video series uh, in 12 episodes right now correct negotiating existential issues basically isn't it no uh, it, and death life and death uh, at large. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Revisiting Genesis um, is about death and dying mm-hmm. and care. It combines fictional narrative, the story of Genesis, who is an artist who she's symbolically dying or disappearing, alongside people with real-life, life-limiting conditions. But it's also about the legacy of the LGBTQ uh, personas, isn't it? Because there's a, quite a sensitivity about what happens to the legacy of an artist after he or she or they die, and the sense in which if they were not married but living with their partners, the partners wouldn't take on the estate. I'm kind of recalling those sensitivities because I had the pleasure of working with you at FIG2, where we transformed the space into the casting studio or revisiting Genesis, starting with so, a death metal concert on the night so before. So there are issues when you are belonging in this movement, and if your identity is not a clear man or woman, that the, the, the death process is changing, and uh, you, I don't know, can you, can you explain me? I think generally in revisiting Genesis, I was looking at uh, minorities, I was looking at women artists, was looking at queer artists, outsiders, in terms of representation, so how people are being represented online, how mm-hmm. does one represent themselves online, and then what happened to this, to your legacy when you die, after, what happened to it afterwards, and thinking about, particularly about artists who um, don't own much, maybe don't don't own a house or a car, etc. But they own a lot of intellectual property, so they own there's a lot of online content. And how how is that being used or controlled after the death, if at all? Is it even important? Also, looking at the death, the emerging death industries, life extending industries, for example, um, avatars, creating humanoid based robots like being a 48 looking at grave sites gravestones with augmented reality so you can activate the grave site when you come to visit something will pop up something will appear because people don't go to graveyards anymore so it's, it's a way to activate it looking at digital wills so people live in wills that are emotional or digital rather than talking about material goods, all those kind of new services, how people live in um, a name of an agent, somebody that will look after your content, after you, when you die, your digital contact with all, like password manager, storage manager, all those kind of, all those emerging industries that offer services after death services. No, I- I have to admit, I've never thought of this kind of uh, yeah, yeah. A, a range of new death services that the new structure of our societies are, are bringing up. Um, yeah, it's basically the way that every aspect of our life 
it's been capitalized on how we are part of the capitalist regime so everything everything we wear everything all our desires everything is part of a capitalist system the same is now applied to death to, to die in mm-hmm. death and the after same life. values of monetarization yeah. basically yeah. and yeah making profit out of death yes exactly uh, okay <laughs> we're definitely going into dark waters here <laughs> So let's uh, listen to the Revisiting Genesis uh, theme tune, which is from Johnny Parry and the Chamber Orchestra. That was the theme. That was the theme tune. So tune yeah. Yeah. So you, you'll. It's quite. Um, it's quite addictive. I really like listening to it. You hear it every time before each episode. So there are twelve episodes. So you hear it twelve times, and also at the credits at the end. And as you said before, it's by Johnny Parry. And yeah, I just wanted to go back again and mention this idea of the loop, the short loop. So I commissioned Johnny Parry to make short loops. That they're like mini theme tunes that come throughout the web series and I feel like in terms of the mood and the sense of the body and the work and the sense of being ill, the sense that we all ill, that we all dying, the play into the, the feeling of it so it would be nice to listen to three of those short loops now. Uh, Bubble and Peas, Minimal Pizza and Dance Drum Loop. Yeah.
I think this is really interesting with the, with the music and also the episodes and I really enjoyed also the kind of the fictional element to it that it actually becomes much more of uh, an open space to explore rather than uh, a didactic place because I think death is a really strong but also a very heavy topic in the fact that you know we're all mortal and that makes us vulnerable and we all kind of tap into but at the same time in every day we live in the avoidance of the theme or the topic and I quite like the liveliness of the loops that it adds a different uh, different tone to the overall project but do you have anything else to add to yeah yeah thanks for that i i also really like the loops particularly for artists who want to work with original music and and and, and dealing with economy and labor and how to do that it's it's a really effective way to do that and johnny's been fantastic in working on these short loops that really uh, shape the atmosphere in the work and maybe it would be nice to end on a prayer or the in the in the jewish term is a kaddish it's a prayer for the dead Genesis dies at the end. Um, I wrote the lyrics for the prayer. Johnny composed the music and he sings as well with his chamber orchestra. Visually what we're looking at is an aerialist doing an aerialist routine completely covered in white. The space is totally white, so it's white on white. If you can imagine a person doing an aerialist routine whilst listening to the prayer. Okay, let's go to the prayer. Do you hear me, God? God, do you hear me? Can you see me, God? God, you are in me. But and smell the self-neglect Didn't know that we'd have to change Change our underwear and socks Every day for self-belief is scarce And we So, Orit, uh, you, your projects are highly collaborative and uh, one of your projects is collaborative storytelling in the dark. Uh, how exactly that can work? I can imagine it's quite intense experience of sharing and structuring the dark. I think your senses are so more um, intense when you don't have the visual contact. What was the aim? Yeah, so my aim was to see what I can do with the least amount of production. So to, to go from big heavy productions to literally to nothing. And my nothing was people coming together into a dark space, telling stories. And of course, there is no nothing. It's no nothing, it's actually a lot. And the stories that come in the dark uh, I found quite phenomenal. And the idea is that people tell a story together, so all the voices become one voice. It's not about each person telling their own stories, but everybody together create a story. And, and like you said, in the dark, without the visual, it feels more anonymous, more intimate and more embodied. There's a different kind of storytelling going on. Are there the people moving in the space while telling the stories? 
Not so far, but I might try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. It was also like it just reminded me of Tino Saiga's performance in Documenta, actually. Um, I think that was uh, two editions ago, and that you would enter a dark space, and then there would be dancers around you, and they would start whispering, and it was, and then charging the space with movement and yeah, energy. That was very, very moving experience. I think, as you said, you know, when you're in the dark, your senses are um, altered, and perhaps you become more sensitive to your other senses and sight such as hearing and touch and yeah yeah and the other thing with this work which I I call it uh, I mean everybody calls it situated practice so where it takes place is really important so for example I had five sessions made in Thessaloniki as part of the um, most recent Thessaloniki biennial and one of the spaces was a warehouse of um, precarious artists who live and work in the space so the story they're telling are specific to the environment that they at do the people create, uh, are all people saying their own personal stories or there is a story that evolves from mouth to mouth and develops to something unexpected? So there, there are a few modes of storytelling and I'm very interested in that because I'm, I'm very interested in narrating and what a story is and what narrating is. Some are completely abstract, so some, some stories with some groups, some sessions it's like jamming together with music. It's, it just goes in a completely abstract way into an imaginary world that makes no sense. Some of it is conversational. It's more like a conversation, but if you read it in a book, that would be a story. And some of it is factual, people telling real things that are happening to them or happen to them. I would like to change a little bit of the subject. And uh, I have been fascinated, I have to say, from your multiple alter egos and um, the, the, the visual, uh, the visual perfection of uh, how you change uh, your image and your identity. Uh, and uh, your, your main, um, I think the most ongoing one is um, a Jewish Orthodox man, Marcus Fischer. So we, which are these characters and why? Uh, what what do you try to explore th through this um, uh, impersonation, or I don't know, through this other other use, yeah, <laughs> other but faces of you? Yeah, <laughs> perhaps most briefly, I can talk about my interest in how little one needs to in order to look completely different. So, with Marcus Fisher, is is literally a beard. Um, a hat, or, or what we associate externally with what an octopus Jew might look like. It's, it's kind of that mass fantasy, if you like, visual fantasy that we have about what an octodox Jew is. So if you tell people to, to, to quickly draw one, it will come out like Marcus Fisher. So it's quite a flattened idea of that. Uh, with the, the project terrorism, I've become four different characters through different haircuts. And for me, it's fascinating how just changing my hair makes me look so much like the the public male figure that I'm representing. And, and yeah, this idea that you need so little to, to look so different. The malleability of identity in that sense, the malleability. No, what, we, what we associate ourselves with and how we represent yeah. our idea of, of who we are to the world. Yeah, and, and our mass perception of what a person is what mm. what somebody you know if, if we all you know if you ask 100 people to draw Trump you'll probably come <laughs> up with something quite um, similar and quite yeah <laughs> and quite so I'm quite interested in that in, in sort of the a mass perception of um, of a person's face or identity do you use prosthetics no no but the, with with Marcus Fisher the orthodox Jewish alter ego, I hold my breast in a way that makes it look like it's fake. So people always ask me, oh, is it a fake breast? It's my own breast, but the way <laughs> I hold it makes it look like it's completely yeah. not mine. So that's what I mean, you don't need why to... Why do you hold it? To, to make it look like it's fake. So in a sense, 
that's what I mean about how little you need. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I could have gone into kind of creating some props, but actually you just need to hold it in a particular way to make it look artificial. But I think that is the innuendo that really kind of alters the work in a very different way than what Cindy Sherman has been doing in the sense in which there's that kind of curiosity then immediately charged onto the image where even the protagonist in the in the image that we're looking at is confused about his way of being, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, many people are always confused about this image. What re- is the beard real? Is the breast real? What is the real? And I'm always interested in, yeah, what's real, what's fantasy, what's fiction. But also I have to go back to the loop and the idea of my interest in economy, like lo-fi economy. I'm interested in DIY and lo-fi economy from a political perspective from and to do my upbringing. What can we do with nothing, with very little? So, yeah, just holding a part of your body with your hands but make can achieve a lot. On the subject of death, I'd like to dedicate the next song to someone who is very special to me and who kept my heart warm since my dad passed away a few weeks ago. This is for Yuliad.
Oritashri, thank you very much for everything. And before we close this show, and um, I would like to ask what is next? So where we can see your performances, your work, what should, what should we expect from you? So I'm going to talk only about what's real, what's happening, <laughs> not about what I'm actually going to make, because that might be a fantasy, mm-hmm. and what's going to happen in the next few months. So next week I'm going to Krems in Austria to perform Passing Through Metal, a sonic performance with the band Friends of Gas. Later on, I am going to be part of Fig Futures in Kettle's Yard in Cambridge with a wonderful Fatosh here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <Yay>! And Guy. <laughs> in which we, it will be the, actually, come to see that in September, it's the premiere of Passing Through Metal in the UK. That would be the, the first time the performance will be shown here. It's a, a sonic performance. Uh, there is the Kochi uh, Barnial, the Renz Barnial, the, the, there's lots of other stuff going on. But um, yeah, I'd say Cambridge in September. Thank you very much, Ritashri uh, Fatosustek. It was lovely to have you on, on Soho Radio on the Art Hour on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, enjoy Thank you. the rest of your day. Thank, Thank you for you. the invitation. Thank you so much. It was Thank such you. a pleasure.